0: Welcome to the second episode of the For No Reason podcast um, where we talk all things traditional and Irish music related and fiddle related and lots of things that we talk about. <laughs> but <laughs> today um, we're going to be talking about the book called Trad Nation, Gender, Sexuality and Race in Traditional Irish Music by Tess Leminski and we're really excited about it. And But before we get started, we just want to mention a few things like just to update you guys about where you can listen to the podcast. Um, The podcast is currently available on Google um, Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, and I believe Overcast. Um, And it should be available on a few more platforms coming soon. Um, But yeah, everyone's going to talk about the tunes we played in our last episode.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, hi, everyone. Thanks for listening again. Um, that was Holly. She is amazing. I'm Evelyn. <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> in our last podcast, we each played a tune. Um, I played one right before the podcast, and it is called Temple Glanton, Um Holly played a tune that I really love called Step It Out, Joe at the very end of the podcast. And um, that is available to see a video of us playing a set with the tune Step It Out, Joe in it on our Instagram called For No Reason Pod. And um, so you can see it there if you want to see a video of us playing together. And that's one thing I love about this pandemic the one good thing is that we can still play music virtually together, and so it's nice you see us playing in our separate bedrooms, but still together.
0: <laughs> totally. Um, and every episode, um, we kind of made, like, a game time decision last time that we wanted to include, like, some of our favorite tunes for each episode, so every time we make an episode of this podcast, you'll get to hear um, some of our current favorite tunes that we're we're playing and then yeah so that's really awesome so just to set the tone of this discussion we're about to have um and on the topic of social media while we're, while we're at it um the other day I was on Facebook and I saw a recording of two of our favorite musicians and players uh Dylan Foley and Dan Gurney and um Dan Gurney had written a tune for um Kamala Harris I mean not that she's going to see it I mean unless she does but called Commas Fancy. And that's really awesome because um, in the US we have a brand new vice president and she happens to be um, African-American. So, and we're gonna be talking about some kind of, um, some topics related to race in our circles and what we do. So I just wanted to put that out there that, you know, we're hearing tunes written for some really awesome people that we're seeing coming into um, leadership in America. So. Yeah, and so I'll just do a little intro about um, the author of this book, uh, Tess Slominski. Um, And this is just a bio I found from the Catskills Irish Arts Week website. And it says, despite being the granddaughter of an old-time banjo player and the descendant of a Scottish immigrant who came to the U.S. as a ship's fiddler in the late 1700s, Tess Slominski got incurably bitten by the Irish music bug as a teenager. So did a lot of us. And in the early 20s, um, she founded the Blue Ridge Irish Music School in Charlottesville, West uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, um, which is now in its 15th year, probably more years of operation, and was a member of the contra dance band Roaring Mary. During those years, Tess spent as much time in Ireland as she could uh, manage, where she regularly played with fiddlers Connie O'Connell from County Cork, Donal O'Connor from um, County Kerry, and... Um, She taught fiddle in Ennis County Clare, and also got her um, degree in ethnomusicology from the University of Limerick. And upon moving back to the States, um, she went back to grad school, wrote a dissertation on women musicians in the early 20th century um, in the Irish nationalist movement, and got her PhD also in ethnomusicology from NYU. And now um, she teaches in the music department at Beloit College in Wisconsin, um, where she leads the College of North North Atlantic Music Ensemble. So that gives you a little bit of background about um, Tess. And so now we're gonna hear a little bit about the book from Evelyn.
1: Yes, <laughs> Tess sounds awesome. First of all, I wish I could meet her. <laughs> she sounds amazing. Um, but <clears throat> you see on the back of the book, um, <sighs> They write a provocative call to dislodge ethnic nationalism from Irish traditional music. And just how, um, I'm gonna do air quotes, I know you can't (laughs) see it, but just how air quote Irish is traditional Irish music. Trad Nation combines ethnography, oral history, and archival research to challenge the longstanding practice of using ethnic nationalism as a framework for understanding vernacular music traditions. Tess Slominski argues that ethnic nationalism hinders this music's development today in an increasingly multi-ethnic Ireland and in the transnational Irish traditional music scene. She explores the experiences of women since the early 20th century and those of LGBTQ plus musicians and musicians of color in the early 21st century.
0: Awesome. <laughs> this book is like me and Evelyn really like to talk about like this kind of stuff amongst ourselves so it's really cool like we said in the last episode to see a book that's like really tailored to like the kind of music that we play a lot so that's really cool and one of my like um, one of the things that I wrote down um, at the very beginning of the book um, is the purpose of the book that she writes um, and I quote this book aims to inspire people to make strides for a more equitable future in trad so we're gonna get into that a little bit so I wanted to start by asking Evelyn what her like first impressions or like biggest takeaways from the book were before we like get into the nitty-gritty
1: yes <laughs> I love that question um there were a lot of first impressions I took away from this book because even though well first of all there's about five chapters um focusing on different topics in this book but even though each chapter only i feel like scratches the surface of these issues it brings up so much and um about irish music and since we haven't been in a session for so long it like at least made me think back at sessions and be like oh and it made me realize more things about who was at that session what was the vibe what it what were the things they said and um different things like that. But one first impression that I took away was the part about Julia Clifford. Because I've learned a little bit about Julia Clifford. Um, <clears throat> but I learned more about Dennis Murphy, her brother. And I think a lot of people did. But it was really cool to read about Julia Clifford, and kind of more her history and her story and what she went through to continue playing Irish music. And how important it was to her. Like They talk about how her love for Irish music is the reason that she moved to London and then back to Ireland and all these things. And that was like the thing leading her and guiding her around in her life, which I thought was really interesting. And um, especially since it was not as encouraged in the 1900s um, for women to play Irish music, which is crazy to think about now because I walk into a session not even thinking about that. And that is a privilege that I have, but Julia Clifford didn't have as much and she still went out. And um, one thing that struck me was there's this little story about her being about 15. I'll just read it really quickly, but um, quoting from the book, I must have been around the age of 15 when I took part in a competition for the first time it was organized in Naknagri by a traveling showman known as Gordy, but I had to be persuaded to take part as my parents did not know I was in Naknagri. Anyway, I entered and much to my surprise, won first prize of 10 shillings, a mighty sum in those days. Gordy advised me to learn how to read music and I went to Patrick O'Keefe who showed me how. Um, first of all, I think it's Funny how uh, modest she is because she was literally amazing. (laughs) But I wanted to ask you, Holly, if you were living in the 1920s as a woman um, in those times, would you have snuck out to compete or even play in public like Julia Clifford did? I think that
0: based off of like my personality type, I would get really scared to do it. And I would it would take a lot of like building up of courage to like do that for me but I probably would do it and like claim like what I deserved if I were her um that's like a huge testament to her like character and dedication for sure um so long story short it would be really hard but I would probably do it but also I wanted to add that like I think it's cool how you see these like big figures who like move around to different places in the country or out of the country and then those are the places where there's like these huge scenes which is like obviously kind of obvious but it's like really interesting to see how that kind of transpired um but anyway would you do it
1: <laughs> first of all I also think that's interesting but yes I do think I would <laughs> You're like, more spontaneous yes I feel for me um it wasn't it wasn't much of a thought which maybe is a bad thing <laughs> but i was like yes i would do it but um i also understand that there would be a lot more consequences and i would have to um i would have to give up a lot more to do that like you would have to make a lot of sacrifices to do that because it was such a big deal to go out on your own as a woman in the 1920s and play Irish music in public. Um, But another first impression I had was towards the end of the book when, um, I'm just turning pages here, but um, they talk about how a lot of non-white musicians in sessions faced people asking them, oh, how did you get into the music and all these things? But at the same time, people, white musicians who are in jazz did not get asked that same question of how you know how did you get into jazz which is frustrating um to me and to so many people because first of all like black people started jazz soul r&b rock and roll blues like almost every music genre and um I also think that music should be anyone should be able to play it and not be questioned like if the music speaks to you I think that's beautiful and people should be able to express that because music is a form of expression but um that's another one they're kind of bookends like the Julia Clifford thing was at the beginning and this is more towards the end but I want to know what did you take away from that or what were you thinking when you were reading that
0: yeah um I'll talk about like my initial first impressions in a second but I just wanted to say on the topic of that you were just talking about. I so heavily related to that idea that was um, written in the book because like it happens to me so often. And I, like, I, it's like, are people curious about me or are they just confused? Like, how did this black girl get into playing Irish music? You know? And so it's, it's never been a problem for me, you know, like um, just, you know, telling my story. Um, but it's like, where where does that come from from people? And I feel like a lot of people experience that, especially when they don't look like the typical person who's playing, you know, traditional music in general. So that was one of the things I wrote down in um, the section of our little outline that we have going on. <laughs> yes. How did I relate to this? Because that really is prevalent, um, I think, for a lot of people. But my some of my first impressions were like phrases um, that were used that I kind of like connected to other phrases that I use or that other people use. And so those were like the, the music itself, like just focus on the music, don't focus on anything political or whatever. And um, also um, the quote that's like, shut up and play, just be quiet, don't talk and just play. Like those are, I feel like that happens in like almost every genre of music. And like, there's so many instances where like m- music is, it might seem like this like beautiful piece of music or a intense piece of music, um, but then you look deeper and you really read into something and you think about it and you look at the composer and the person who wrote it and where it comes from, and you realize there is a lot of deeper meaning. And so like taking that phrase and just saying, focus on the music it really takes, a, it like erases a lot of stuff out of that and so I related some of these phrases to like people saying like you know just play the music just practice um which is something I've heard a lot through like trying to work on like anti-racist um work in my communities or like I see no color or things like that when they're talking about like you know race issues so it's like even though they're not like ex- on the same topic they still have that same kind of undertone to me which is one takeaway that I had.
1: Yes, I hear that. And um, I think part of the problem is that when people say to, yeah, focus on the music, they're erasing all these things, but also erasing the fact that politics, race, gender, sexuality, every it's embedded in everything, in every corner of our lives, whether we see it or not. And how much you see may be related to the amount of privilege you have and if you see it or not. But um, I think it's important to talk about it. And like you said, it's even in the music you are playing. So it's like, if you're told to focus on the music, then the music may be talking about something that has to do with it. So um yeah, I hear you. <laughs>
0: I agree. And then another thing that I was like um, thinking about, which I thought was interesting that there were like these two like ideas was like one, and I know you, when we were like texting about this, you mentioned this and like um, Ireland being displayed as like a woman, but then also like the word musician being equated to like male, which was like really interesting to me. So like, I don't know, it just seems very interesting to me that there are like connotations of words that are gendered when they're like inherently not at all gendered really. Um, and how people associate that and interpret that is very interesting to think about. Also like when I'm thinking about musician being a male word, I don't think that that is necessarily like applicable today. I think maybe society has at least moved past that. I don't know how you feel about that, but I don't, I don't know.
1: I, yes, you can't see, but I'm nodding my head. I would definitely (laughs) agree (laughs) when I think of the word musician I wouldn't go to thinking male at all. And I don't think a lot of people would as of today. But I think the interesting thing about this book is that it showed me that there's a lot of things like that, that seem simple. And a lot of people today would probably be like, Oh, the word musician that doesn't have a gender to me, but this book is showing us that just, you know, a hundred years ago or less, um, it did. And there were certain things that weren't acceptable or, just were so different from today. And I think some things from a hundred years ago have changed a lot and some things have hardly changed at all that we need to continue to work on changing. Um, but yeah, I would definitely agree.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting to think about um, if musician is considered a male word, like, um, like Tess Leminski writes, does that come from a place where everything was male? like? the only responsibilities that women were supposed to have were just like in the home and stuff like that. Is that where that stems from or is there another place from it? So that's something that I'm gonna continue to think about. Um, Yeah. Also one other thing that I was like, this isn't really like an important takeaway, but um, there was a part where um, Teslaminsky writes about how there were different ways of playing the same tune, but in different rhythms um, in different articulations. And those tunes were even influenced by other tunes where you can see that they're connected. So you could have like a tune that has like three different names and like different rhythms. And I just think that's really cool. And um, we should embrace that more and like kind of be creative and like change tunes up a little bit, even though that might not be traditional, traditional.
1: Yeah, I think that would be really fun. And honestly, it's kind of funny to me sometimes. Um, this isn't exactly that, but I think along the lines is when someone introduces a tune-in session and says, oh, you know, someone says, what's the name? And someone says, well, I know it is this, this, and that. You know, it could be one name, another name, and another name. <laughs> right. And everyone's just so confused. But also, I like playing a tune with another person who has a little bit of a different part. And it's obviously the same tune, but it's like, to me, that's part of the fun of being like, Oh, I know this other part and learning their part from them and teaching your part. And then you both can learn and it can be a variation that you play in the future or something like that.
0: (sighs) Right. I think that's, that's really exciting. I totally agree. Um, But yeah, so getting into, like, some more, like, deep topics, like, I just wanted to mention a couple of terms that, like, are heavily emphasized in the book, including, like, ethnic nationalism, feminization, interpolation, I think that's how you pronounce it, and audibility, those are just some, like, really key terms that I, like, picked up on, Um, but yeah, I just wanted to mention those, so you can have those in your back pocket, and know the definitions of those. But yeah. Maybe we can talk a little bit about the Irish versus Irish in quotes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, for sure. Do you want to start that off? Yeah, I just think that um I think this whole this discussion um was just based off of like things that are like actually like Irish in nature and then things that are like Irish and so like people who are playing traditional music like the two of us like Irish in quote is in front of that and because we're not from Ireland and I think that it's very interesting to think about how like we can be or people can be disconnected um, from a culture that they're somewhat connected to in nature just because of like um, the belief that you can't do something unless you're from the place, if that makes sense. That's poorly worded, but you get the
1: idea. Yes, for sure. I get the idea. (laughs) I completely agree. And, um, I've had a lot of people ask me if I am Irish and, you know, like if I'm from Ireland or my family members are, and I am not, my close family members are not, but there's definitely some there's a little irish in my family but it's very far away and i was never introduced to irish music through my family it was it was something that i found and i loved and at the time when i first found it i wasn't even thinking about that i wasn't thinking about the culture or if you know like that people in the future were going to ask me if I was from Ireland or where I was going to fit in, but I just loved the music and I started playing it. Um, and I'm curious to hear what your journey with that has kind of been.
0: Totally. Um, it's been a similar, similar journey and I get the question a lot just because I obviously don't look like the typical person. Um, and I think that definitely leads to a lot of questions and one thing I wanted to bring up like in relation to this is like the idea of like cultural approach appropriation which is like something that sometimes can be thrown around a little bit um and it happens in a lot of communities for sure even when the the art form is being like properly respected and presented and like one example of that um, that I wanted to bring up was the story of this dancer um, she's black um, and American um, and from Virginia and her name's Morgan Bullock and um, she has you know gotten a lot of fame recently from like um, Instagram and like TikTok and all that and so that has brought a lot of people to have opinions about what she does and she's been accused for accused of like appropriating the culture when like she's just proficient and really amazing at like Irish dancing. So it's like really interesting to think about people who are doing amazing things, getting accused of doing it disrespectfully. And so that's, that's what this um, topic of like Irish versus Irish kind of brought up for me. Yeah.
1: Yes. And what doesn't sit right with me and doesn't seem fair at all is that I feel like if a white person were to Irish dance, even if they had no Irish lineage and if they like, people would be like, Oh, that makes sense. Okay. And they wouldn't ask at least as many questions, but because she is black, they're asking questions and they're accusing her of appropriating the culture, which I think is disgusting because she's doing an amazing job and she is probably more proficient than a lot of other people. And she's um, she's portraying it in a beautiful way. And I think that I wish she got more recognition and more appreciation for what she was doing as opposed to like her right to do it. That doesn't seem fair.
0: Yeah. But obviously like sometimes it's not like our job as people who are not like ethnically Irish to like make that distinction. Um, But it's always interesting to think about um, how people interpret it. Um, And that brought up another like idea from the book that I was interested in and thought was interesting was the idea of um, entitlement and owning, Mm -hmm. um, which is like really weird to think about with Irish music because like or traditional music in general, because if you don't know, you know, who wrote something or who did something first, how can you own it? Yeah.
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's something that I'm going to think about a lot. And there's a lot of things from this book that have been marinating in my mind and I think will continue to sit in my brain for months and years because there's a lot to unpack in this book and I just finished it recently so there's a lot of things that is fresh in my mind that I think I will continue I think we both will continue to think about for a while
0: for sure um but so let's talk about um a little bit about like there's a lot of talk about like classical versus traditional and like violin versus fiddle in this book which I thought was really interesting to think about because we talk about it all the time like when people ask like what is that and we're like oh it's a fiddle and they're like oh you mean a violin and we're like oh it's the same thing but in this book it describes something that's not the same and like they're not really they have like different definitions and they're not the same at all which is really cool and like weird
1: i think yes and i think even in this book it was interesting to me um in towards the beginning um if i remember correctly holly correct me if i'm wrong but (laughs) i remember them saying if someone especially a woman played the fiddle she was not as like high in class as if someone played the violin, which um, is interesting to hear because they're both very different and obviously they both have very different skill sets, but they both still have skill sets and a lot of um, hard things that go along with each. And um, even today, like I have a lot of people ask me, oh, is that a violin or a fiddle? What's the difference? And a lot of people don't even know that the violin and the fiddle are the same exact instrument. (laughs) I mean, like if, you know, if you're a professional and you're very particular about your instrument, you may slightly change the bridge, which is the little part under the strings, the wooden part, (laughs) Um, if anyone doesn't know what that is, but. like you might make slight changes but it is definitely the core the same instrument the violin and the fiddle (sighs) yeah and
0: this book also throws in jazz into the picture which is like another just adding another element to it and I um I'll read a quote um and it says jazz continues to function as shorthand for trad performance that falls outside the parameters of what is considered traditional practice. So what this is saying is like jazzy is used as like a negative term to describe someone who's playing is not traditional.
1: Yes, Um, but weren't they also saying that like if, okay, so say someone is playing and someone thinks it doesn't sound traditional, they may say, oh, they sound jazzy. But first of all, it would be negative. But second of all, what they're describing as jazzy wouldn't actually be jazz at all like it would not be what jazz actually is which I think is rude to the whole anyone who plays jazz and the whole genre of jazz
0: yeah it's kind of confusing but it's also it's fun to think about the connections between like all different genres of music also um like there's a lot of you know, things in like Baroque music that you can connect like um, ornamentation specifically that you can connect back to like different styles of like traditional music. And there's, I'm sure there are a lot of connections between like the chord progressions, um, the basic chord progressions in jazz to like the chord progressions we see in like tunes that we play. So why would it, why is it a negative thing when all these things are connected, I guess?
1: Um. Yeah. yeah. One of the connections I see between Irish music and jazz is seventh chords. And I think like seventh chords, especially dominant seventh chords, which a seventh chord is just a triad. It's one, three, five, and then seven. So you add on a note, if it was a C C chord, um, then it would be C, E, G, and then you would add on a B. And if it was dominant, that B would be flat. Um, so it was a whole step away from C. But that, like, the dominant seventh chord is, like, the almighty chord in jazz music. That's, like, the main chord. And in Irish music, that's used a lot as well, like um, a seventh chord, um, no matter the inversion, and then usually resolved to, like, the root chord. But um, you're right, there's there's even more... Um, similarities between Irish music and jazz and every kind of music. Like, of course they're all connected. So wild. <laughs> it's crazy. Um,
0: but yeah. And so we've talked a little bit about like race and we've talked about gender and something that we didn't really touch on is like the mention of like the me too stories um, in the book, which is like, really it's just jarring to read like those types of stories and there's a lot of people who are doing the work to bring light to those and try to make change like Miss Afosta. Um and I think that's really awesome and in this book there are a lot of stories that were just like wow that really happens to people and like luckily nothing has ever happened to me but like we always have to be cognizant of the things that will happen to other people and we have to make sure that we support them in that way. So like, I don't ever want to, you know, hear about another woman or a friend that I have who has been like assaulted in the ways that this book describes towards the end and like be quiet on it. And I can't believe that like so many years have like passed and that this movement is really only coming up now. And so it's just wild to me.
1: Yes. and. It- it is wild that so many of these stories have been told and expressed and happened. And that I see a lot of women finally have the courage to tell these stories. And some people don't even believe them, which is beyond, beyond angering. Um but I agree with you. If there was one thing I could like have, it would be for no one else to go through anything like that again, but I know that it still happens. And I agree with you that it is astronomical in a way that it is just coming to light more so now. And I think there are a lot of things coming to light in this generation that people are bringing up and finally talking about, but it's like, why weren't we talking about this years ago?
0: (laughs) Right. And it just goes to show another, like bringing this point back to something um, that was written in the book a lot is like how forgotten these women, like fiddle players were. Like there are so many people where like their music isn't recorded. There's no records of them. Like nothing is written down. And like these people in the book, like they don't have a lot of the resources that we have for other like male counterparts and people who are just as successful, but male. And they are the people who are even famous enough to like have that. Who else back then is just completely forgotten and unknown about that we could have had like you know primary sources about and stuff like that and um like there's just so much forgotten forgotten people and forgotten events and things being erased and we have to stand up for that and not let that happen any any longer
1: yes like
0: really inspiring and like we have to motivate and encourage like you know all the female players and um like, this book goes to inspire, like, the musicians of color, the LGBTQ plus um, members of the community, we have to make sure that, like, their stories aren't forgotten, and they're not forgotten as, like, prominent musicians, just because of what they can't control.
1: Yes, exactly, and for me, personally, I would have loved to see more women and more LGBTQ plus and more women of color, um, and more black women and more just like we, anyone that doesn't get as much representation as they want or need, I wish that we got more representation like that. Like that would be amazing. Like to just imagine like more representation that would, I think give us such more like so much more hope and um, of course we have hope, but like someone to look up to, I think that's really important. And um, just like when you watch a TV show, even if it's like subconscious, you kind of start imagining imagining yourself as one of the characters, you start acting like them, dressing like them, even if it's, you know, a small um, change, we, we project, um, what we see from other people and same with Irish music, like, especially since this is what I want to do for a career. And, um, both of us are wanting to do music for a career and really interested in both classical and Irish music and all kinds of music. Um, it would be so nice to get more representation and to see more like mentors that we could look up to and say, Oh, like they did it. But also there were, there were women doing it. It's just their voices got silenced and didn't get recorded in history as much as the male musicians. And so like this book talks about, um, and like what you were saying, Holly, is that there are so many women who didn't get their stories recorded or didn't get their, music recorded there was no recordings of them but they existed and I really wish that we got to hear them that would have been like that would be so cool
0: and you know honestly it's just so amazing that like I think both of us have a lot of like really amazing female mentors as fiddle players and that's just so amazing to see and I'm so grateful for that like eternally you know like the toy story quote (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, off topic but you know what i mean like we're really lucky for that and we're really lucky to have you know so many amazing recordings of our favorite players and have that be readily available and accessible for us um unlike i'm sure a lot of people back in the day which is awesome well not awesome for them but the fact that it's growing and improving is awesome for us which is great to see so let's hop over to like things that we connected to our like our personal experiences our life experiences what's something that like you took away that you were like oh my god that happened to me or I totally relate to that
1: um well, when I was really little, when, you know, when you're younger, you have less of a um, filter. And <laughs> I remember like when I was really little, this is when I just got into Irish music and I loved it. And the reason I wanted to play um, was because I loved the music and it was so energizing. And I remember going to sessions and it mainly being older men, which I look up to as well. And there are amazing musicians. Um, but I remember going home and being like, wow, like where were the women? <laughs> where were they? <laughs> and I remember one woman in the session and I would always like fixate on her. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, like she's so cool. Um, and, um, that's one thing that I can think of. I'm sure there's more, but I'm kind of blanking right now. Um, but that was like one thing I distinctly remember coming home and being like, wow, like And also I was more on the younger side of everyone. There wasn't many people my age, um, but I think that's kind of any Irish session you go to. And that's part of the beauty of it too, is because you're learning from mentors and elders and um, that is beautiful. And I appreciate learning from anyone who is older than me in a session, they are all amazing. And I appreciate hearing all of their unique styles. but what about you? What is something that you related to your experience that you have actually experienced in your life?
0: Yeah. So we kind of already talked about like the first initial thing that I was going to say, just like, you know, people asking you like how you got into some, how you got into it, like when it's, you know, more or less related to how you look and the fact that I'm black, you know, whatever. Um, but another thing that I picked up on was, um, was a story about um blanking um it was about julia clifford i believe about how she was really really talkative and she would you know there would be she would be joking around when you were away from a session and um she would just be talking up a storm as someone who told the account was saying and then when she was put in the session um you know and playing like you couldn't get a word out of her. She would just be like quiet. And like having to like switch that is like really interesting because something that in the black community people talk about a lot is like code switching, which if you don't know, is like where people go back and forth between using their like, you know, real the way like their their real dialect and their real lingo, um, which oftentimes for black people is considered unprofessional for some reason when it's literally just the way that people will talk and so when they're going in between like certain environments they'll have to like change that and so I really connected those two um it's really interesting to think about those two um and then that also goes back to like um you know having to like prove something to be successful something I wrote down earlier was like having to become like an honorary male and then you could get your success and that like this kind of those two like tied into each other so like she couldn't express like you know the things that she wanted to or any of her like femininity or anything like that and she had to become one of the guys and beca- and from that it just led to her being silenced theoretically and then she was able to achieve what she wanted to which is like it's unfortunate that it's that way
1: but yes yes
0: kind of my two biggest Um, takeaways um, and then also like you know people, women specifically you know being looked at for more more about their body rather than their music that's also really big I feel like people everywhere experience that Um, women in general everywhere they're just looked at for how they look rather than you know any of the you know talents or things that they offer um, in um, like a real quantity. Um, And then also um, there's a part on page um, 47, 147, where um, it's a story about someone who um, is transgender, I believe. And they stated their pronouns um, and the people in the class that Um, she was in we're not respecting her pronouns and it's like people are constantly like overlooking these types of issues and not listening to um, people's wishes when it comes to like those types of adjustments that people have to make that they still don't understand but it just sucks that people have to do that and I feel like it's the same way when it comes to like race issues also so It's just tough.
1: Yes. That was so much you just mentioned. And I really appreciate you sharing all of that. And one thing I want to say is that, um, uh, I hate it that code switching, like you shouldn't have to change the way that you talk because of so much history and your culture and the way you talk at home and with your family, that shouldn't be unprofessional in other settings. And, um, and if anything, like white people should make everyone else more comfortable to talk. How what how is natural for them? Um, because I, I mean, like what I have heard is that, and please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, like, um, black people sometimes or a lot of times when they're ar- around white people, they switch like code switching, they switch how they talk to make white people more comfortable, even if it's not in a professional setting, which should not be the way it is. That is so messed up. And um, everyone should just talk freely. And, but also, like, if anything, white people should make other people more comfortable. Um, I don't see any other way that is right. <laughs> um, but right. yeah, really appreciate all you shared. That is so much to unpack and everything you said.
0: Yeah. And I think like what you just said ties back into like the goal of the book is to like make people want to make change. And um, something that comes with change is discomfort. You know, everyone always says that. And so it's a lot of learning to like make these types of changes in behavior and, um, you know, in your mind and your, your thinking. So it's just, um, we have to encourage people, you know, to really think critically about these changes and actually make the changes. So yeah, I think that's a good place to kind of stop our discussion. (laughs) I hope this um, kind of gave you a good summary about what is in the book, if you haven't read it, or if you want to read it. Um, you can pick it up online, um, and I would really, really recommend it. There's some really great ideas, and it's a, a great starting point, and it gives you a lot of, you know, resources. That's one thing I wanted to mention. There's, you know, there's a big section at the back of the book that mentions all this, all the resources that she called upon to write this book, and there's lots of like, you know, mentions of different albums to listen to, and you know, books written by the different um, women mentioned in the book. So. It's a, it's a really good resource to have, I feel like. And I'm going to continue to, you know, listen and read based off of what's included in this book. And I hope that that will further my knowledge on this topic because it's really interesting to think about.
1: Yeah. Thank you for mentioning also the resources. I think that's a really good um, thing to bring up about this book. But there are so many things that are good about this book. And I highly recommend anyone who plays traditional Irish music, or music in general, or is interested in topics involving gender, sexuality, and race, um, to read this book called Trad Nation. (laughs) Because, (laughs) um, because It's kind of interesting, like it's kind of fun to read because there's some things that you like didn't know and there are some names mentioned that you might not have known, but then they do talk about names like Michael Coleman and Julia Clifford and people that like we've all heard about. So it's like interesting to read a book pertaining to Irish music because um, I never have in this sense where like a book like this before. So that was really interesting. So yeah. I highly recommend everyone read this book. And I think that is the end for today. <laughs> yeah. But
0: So something we talked a lot about, you know, women and, you know, having great mentors and great people to look up to. So hopefully on our next episode, we can kind of dive into that and maybe talk to someone who would fall into that category. Or- <laughs> <laughs> so um, we'll see what we can do and what we can work out um but anyway um if you don't already um follow us on instagram for updates about the episodes and for more tunes and resources and things that we share um and i just wanted to share one little closing quote that i found in the book that is like kind of inspirational and i thought it was just kind of cute and um patty cronin said um anyway i'll keep on playing until i drop so (laughs) <laughs> On that note, this has been the For No Reason podcast, and we'll see you next month.
1: Thank y'all for listening.